We're going to invite Jan Porter here. Uh, Jan's going to come. It is, we're back in a new year and we're back to our schedule. And so we're going to do a moment for missions. Jan's coming from part of our missions team uh, to uh, talk to you about Grace Centers of Hope today. I'm going to bring her all the way over here to the light because it's really good over here. I want them to see your beautiful face. So there you go, Jan. Thank you. And you know, God's love is so good to us. And we are so fortunate. And Grace Centers of Hope is another way of God's love being shown. They take people off the street that are having addictions, that are having issues, that are lost, and they bring them to this particular place in Pontiac and do a a wonderful project of love to them. Um, As it shows, there are all different ages, uh, families as well as individuals who come. And um, as it shows in our next video, it'll tell you a little bit about the background. We would like to welcome you to Grace Centers of Hope, located in downtown Pontiac, Michigan. The programs we offer are open to men, women, and their children from around the world. The mission of Grace Centers of Hope is to positively change the lives of the unwanted, addicted, and homeless through the gospel of Jesus Christ, personal accountability, life skills education, and work-related programs. The goals of our residential life skills programs for men and women is to reconcile residents' relationships with God and give them the tools they need in order to live a responsible, productive life that is free from addiction. Residents attend classes each morning. Course topics include relationships and marriage, parenting, breaking the addiction cycle, relapse prevention, reflecting on the past, and Bible study. Large and small group classes allow the men and women to establish a support system among their peers, gain the trust of one another, and instill in them a sense of community. I think it's great that they do such a ministry. Um, They not only have this ministry with individuals, but they also have thrift shops. And if you go online, you can see that I think there's three or four of them around about, and this provides quite a bit. 40% of their income comes from these thrift shops. So we can be a part of that. If we find those spots, we can either give or we can take. Um, so it would be a good thing to check out. They have a nice website that talks about all the mission work that they do in the individuals. But then they also go on to talk about um, how they, after they've gone through this and they are ready to go out in the community, They provide homes for them. Um, They have to do things for those homes, but um, it's amazing just what ministry they get out of, I think they said 50 homes that they have prepared in the Pontiac area so that people, once they have gone through this program, have a place to live and can maintain it. So I just think it's a great ministry, and I'm glad we support it. I think there's a little bit more on... Well, this is a great day for Grace Centers of Hope and Grace Gospel Fellowship. We're celebrating and dedicating our 50th house here in Little Grace Village. Fiat Chrysler Automobiles uh, volunteer. They've been volunteering for about the last four years, and they adopted this house. And they're just so excited about uh, seeing this completed after all their hard work. And uh, everyone is just excited, including Jeff and Shannon Andrews, who will be moving into this house in just the next week. We're very excited to move into this house. Um, Thankful for the opportunity that Grace has presented us with. We have a six-year-old daughter, Emma Jean, and we have a -a two-and-a-half-month-old son, Carter, who uh, will be coming home from the NICU soon. Uh, He was born a little bit premature, but he's doing good. And uh, we're very excited to bring them to a nice uh, new house. It's just incredible to see 50 houses now forming a community with graduates and aftercare residents of Grace Centers of Hope. So this is a great day, 50-some houses now uh, that we own and seeing people get their life back and uh, in the mainstream. that God has given them, and I just appreciate being a part of it. Thank you, Jan. Let's thank Jan. 
I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Amen. Is it just me or is there sound coming? Is sound coming out of the speakers or just these two little ones here? Okay. All right. Can you guys hear me? All right. Not getting a free Sunday of me up here just, just moving my mouth and you just sitting there pretending like you're listening. All right. I'll talk louder just in case. But uh, uh, yeah, we, something went wrong in the second service. We'll have to check the system to see what happened. Um, Thank you again for being here. Thank you, Jan, for sharing with that. Uh, I love our moment for mission. So we know the people that we're actively supporting and how you can do that in a more uh, tangible way. Uh, support them by, uh, I was telling them in the first service, my son Joshua was little at one point. Now he's six foot whatever. And he went through a lot of clothes to get there. And we could probably box those up and get those uh, sent in and other people can use those. So uh, take advantage of those opportunities that we can have to further a ministry along. We're going to shift now to talk about our series we're in. The series is called Pray. Now, no big surprise, but it's going to be a weird message today. I said that in the first message. It's going to be weird today, and they're like, yeah, it's you. <laughs> I guess I, I, you kind of come to expect weird, but uh, we might not hear a message you're thinking about in a series called Prayer, but we're looking at four specific prayers of Paul, and in his prayers, we might learn something we didn't think we were going to learn about praying and what to be praying for. And so would you pray with me as we get ready to get into this? You could just uh, say this prayer silently to God. You don't have to say anything out loud, but if you just say, God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. Just give that prayer to God. God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. And God, I pray that you'd be glorified. I pray that everyone hearing this would be edified, and I pray that Satan would be horrified. In Jesus' name, amen. As we're talking about prayer, there's always a big idea each week. So I came up with this big idea. The big idea is those strengthened in power through prayer will be active in sharing their faith. And we're going to be in the book of Philemon today. You can meet me there if you want to start heading there, if you've got a copy of the scriptures. If not, there are some throughout the, uh, the area here underneath chairs. Uh, but you can also use a gadget, and it will be on the screen uh, for most of the service too. But join me in Philemon. And we're going to be talking about those strengthened in power through prayer. Now that should be kind of ring a bell to you. Last week we started with a prayer of Paul's and it was a prayer that we'd be strengthened in power. And that power was for a purpose. What did Paul pray we'd be strengthened in power with? Anybody? The love of God that we would understand and know. Remember how high, how deep, how wide, how far is the love of God? Kind of surprising thing you'd think Paul would need to pray about. If we could just understand the words of that song that John Michael Millett or whatever wrote. If grace were an ocean, we're all sinking. We are so deep in it. We need it. God's love for us, it encompasses us. If we would know that, we'd be strengthened in power. So I incorporated that into this week. If you're strengthened in power through prayer, then you'll be active in sharing your faith. We're going to read the whole book of Philemon uh, because it's a short book. The reason why there's no numbers up there because there are no chapters in Philemon. It's just verses. And so instead of just doing the four verses I want to focus on, we're going to read this whole letter. It's unique because Paul was not writing to a church necessarily. This is one of the only ones written to an individual, Philemon. We're going to learn about him today. So while you're getting in Philemon ready to go, I just want to, I had some more thoughts. You know, I sit around thinking about prayer and I had a weird thought about, because we do weird things when we pray. Remember last week I told you uh, about weird things that we do? Um, I was thinking this week about children in prayers. We do weird things with children all the way around. Even our children's nursery rhymes. Have you ever thought about the nursery rhymes? They're scary. And they're a little creepy sometimes. But then I thought about the most famous prayer besides the Lord's Prayer is this one. Imagine, Dad walking into the room, it's time to go to bed. And you walk up to your child and say, Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Good night, sweetie. See you in the morning. Maybe. 
I mean, that's creepy. I mean, don't get mad at me. If you pray that prayer every night, I'm all about traditional stuff. I'm all about, you know, even that prayer I just prayed at the beginning of the service. I do traditional prayers that I do all the time, over and over again. So if you do that, I'm not mocking you. I just step back every once in a while and think about the things we do and say and how weird they are. Another weird prayer is, this is a weird one, God bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies. Have you ever prayed that at the state fair? When you're about to eat a double cheeseburger with bacon and onion rings smothered in chili sauce, you know, and then the elephant ears with the... You're actually not praying, Lord, bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies. That's just a fallacy. You're praying for a miracle. What you should say is, Lord, take this burger and turn it into broccoli after it gets in me. You're praying for a miracle is what you're praying for. And we do that all the time. I often thought we should, we, we should stop and thank the Lord for our food. Sometimes we ought to just ask forgiveness for our food. <laughs> Lord, I'm about to eat this and I know it's wrong. Just forgive me in Jesus' name. That's, that's more realistic. But we do pray strange things. I'm so thankful, aren't you, that God is gracious to us. He's patient with us. Even though we make mistakes, and I gave you two mistakes last week. Last week we talked about two big prayer mistakes, praying too small and praying too general. Remember how we usually just pray, oh Lord, bless so and so. Or Lord, be with so and so. We got an almighty God in heaven that can do anything. And we ask, Lord, be with so and so. And he's in heaven saying, I already promised you I was with so and so. I'll always be with you. I'll never leave you. You're praying for something you got a guarantee for. You can do more than that. And so we need to step up, pray specific, big prayers. I had a gentleman come and say, Pastor, I took your sermon to heart last week. Watch out what you pray for. He said, our whole company was suffering. We were running without business. We were worried. And I realized as a Christian, I never prayed about it. He said, Pastor, last week I left and I said, God, give us business. He said, Pastor, we have over $250,000 of business and not enough time to do it. Now I change my prayer to, Lord, give me the strength to do all the work that you gave me. Be careful what you pray for. We got to pray big, specific prayers that move heaven. So this week we're going to talk about Philemon. Let, let me read the context. I'll read it from the screen. Would you follow along with me? Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Acrippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Now, I like, uh, read carefully with all the punctuations, right? You got the period, you got the exclamation points, and, the, and this one, you got some, you got some slashes there. And it helps you understand who he's talking about. So you could read that verse 2 to Philemon, to Aphia, to Acrippus, and the church that meets you in your home. Whose home? Acrippus or, or, or Aphia? Who, but they put the little, so you know it's Philemon. Philemon is who the letter's to. These other two are important, but it's the church that meets in Philemon's home, according to the, okay? We know that Philemon is a fairly wealthy believer. He actually is helping take care of this church. He lets the church meet in his house. He actually is known for providing for people's needs. We don't know for sure, but it kind of sounds like he sent money, he sent food to Paul while he's in prison. He's a provider. He cares about other Christians. Verse 3, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, Although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. Stay there. Don't go. Don't go back. There you go. They're always quick. They're so quick at what they do. Onesimus. We know now Paul's got this story in mind he wants to talk to Philemon about. Philemon's a wealthy, uh, church-loving guy, supporter of Christianity and church things. But we have a new person named Onesimus. And 
Paul does a wonderful play on words. He says, Onesimus, who became my son, formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and me. The word Onesimus means useful. So Paul's basically saying, Philemon, I met useful. You think he's Onesimusless, but he's Onesimus. He's useful. All right, so we got a little play on words going on there. Let's find out more. Keep going now. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel, but I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. Stay there. This is good stuff here because we find out that this Onesimus, this useful, was a runaway slave. He used to belong to Philemon, but he's run away. And now Paul has led him to the Lord. He got saved, and Paul found out that he belongs to Philemon, and he's sending him back. And he's telling Philemon, those of you who hear that the Bible is awful because it's misogynistic, it's, it's masculine, and it's pro-slavery. No, uh, the Bible is radical in the sense that when Paul wrote this, slavery was just a way of life. It was not even questioned. It was just a way of life. You had slaves, there were different types of slaves, but slavery was a part of everyday life. And Paul says, you owned this person, but now he's come to Christ And he is no longer a slave. He's your brother. You need to take him back, not as a slave, but as an equal. I love that. Look how the Bible steps up. And by the way, in there he says, he is a man. He's a fellow man. He's a human being. You you ask me if the Bible is against slavery. Right there you hear Paul telling somebody, he's a person, Philemon. Better than that, he's a brother in Christ now. I love that keep going so if you consider me a partner welcome him Onesimus as you would welcome me if he's done anything to you or done you any wrong or owes you anything charge it to me I Paul am writing this with my own hand I will pay it back to you not to mention that you owe me your very self I just love how Paul really lays it on thick don't you I mean don't you love how Paul does this I love how Paul says Philemon I Paul, an old man in chains. And by the way, you owe me a very life because I told you about Jesus. I I just love how Paul really lays it on thick to Philemon here. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ, confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you and answer to your prayers. I don't, I just, that's kind of a parent trick, if you think. Paul's like, I know you're going to do the right thing. And by the way, I'm coming. I'll be checking in on you, right? I'm all for trust, but I'm also all about accountability, right? I'm all, Paul's like, yeah, by the way, I'm going to come and see how it's going. So prepare a room. I might come on there and find out. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Jesus Christ, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you in in your spirit. It's a great book, a letter actually, written to a person. And we're going to take a look at just at a couple of verses there. And I want to tell you, we're going to use a specific version, or we're going to go to the NIV 1984 version. You're like, what? Uh, I like the wording in the 1984 version. I'm using that mostly because it uses the words, I pray. Everybody say, I pray. And so that. Everybody say, so that. Because in each of these prayers that Paul prays, he prays, I pray, and so that. So we get a very clear understanding of the prayer. So I'm using the 1984. Now here, I'm weird, I know. We're going to pause step out of the message, and do a little explanation. Why are there different versions of the Bible? And, and I just need to explain to you. Sometimes as I'm preaching, I might say, oh, and this word actually means this better than that. I don't want you going away saying, oh, they made a bunch of mistakes in the Bible. You just need to know that men, people, take 
ancient text and they have to translate them into something we can read. And they have to make decisions then. And they try to, in a good translation, they're taking word for word. But sometimes if you're doing that, it's just very academic. Sometimes you've got to take a step back and read it in its context to find the best word for that. For instance, when you're looking at text, some people love the King James, right? I heard this. That's the only version of the Bible is the King James. Because, of course, the only spiritual people that ever lived were the people that lived in King James Day, right? And he was an evil man himself, but King James Version, 1611, by the way, 1611, it cracks me up. If you'd like to actually tell me that that's the only version we should read, I actually have a 1611 version in my office. You can't read it. It's written in Old English that you wouldn't be able to read. So somebody had to translate the 1611 into English. It's a translation just like the NIV, okay, and just like the ESV. And those people made choices. I'm not against the King James. That's a wonderful version of the Bible, uh, and it's got a poetry to it. But you need to know that those people who translated Scripture translated very conservatively. So in other words, a word like girl in the Bible or woman or female, they would have to transfer. You know, there's a lot of words that could mean woman, grandma, mom aunt, sister, uh, girl, lady, ma'am. I mean, there's a bunch of words, right? Which one do you choose? The King James always chose the most conservative version of a word to, to choose. And so in the New Testament, quite a lot, the New Testament will talk about a virgin, even if it wasn't translated virgin. Now, now don't throw things at me. When it comes to Mary, the mother of Jesus, that needs to be translated virgin because she was a virgin, and that's what that word means specifically. But in another text, if you're talking about a girl, you can't necessarily say virgin. You don't know that. It could just mean woman or female. Is everybody with me? Somebody say yes, PD. These are translations. So let's walk back in. We're back in my message now. So I chose the NIV 1984 because I love the way this one flows. So we'll look at the screen for the rest of this. We're going to talk about this short text. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray, everybody, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Let's talk about the prayer Paul prayed for Philemon. Last week I used Paul's purpose and passion, remember his position, posture, all those things. In this week, we see a prayer from Paul, and here's his purpose. I pray. Share your faith. That's what he's telling Philemon. I pray you will share your faith effectively. What's the so that? So that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Jesus. Now, I don't know if you're ready to go there with me or not, but if, you're, if Paul is praying this, I'm wondering in my mind, does that mean maybe he's thinking Philemon does not share his faith effectively? And perhaps because of that, he doesn't have a full understanding of everything he has in Christ Jesus. I don't know for sure, and I can't tell you this. It isn't written in this letter. But if you look at the context, I want you to think deeper this week, friends. What's the story we have here? Paul is sitting in prison, and something, by the divine grace of God, he meets up with a person named Onesimus. How did they meet? I don't know. But somehow he meets this person, Onesimus. And in meeting him, he shares the gospel of Christ. We don't know how many times it took. We don't know about the friendship that took place. But eventually, Onesimus hears this wonderful gospel and is saved. And then can you imagine the awkward conversation when Paul gets to know him more and says, well, tell me where you're from. Where'd you grow up? Tell me your story. Well, I used to be a slave for this guy named Philemon. What? I know Philemon. Philemon's a friend of mine. Now, have you ever been somewhere and you met somebody and you found out, you know, it's the six degrees of Kevin Bacon? Anybody with me? Okay, don't make me feel like I'm a crazy person because it, it's really easy to go there. Have somebody say yes, PD. Yes. My wife can meet somebody in the aisle at Meyer and find out that they know the same aunt or uncle that she has. It's amazing. She, she can quickly find a connectivity with somebody. And here we've got this weird, awkward moment where Paul leads this guy to God, and then they're talking, and we find out, oh my goodness, 
you're a runaway slave. I know Philemon. And you're telling me that you never heard the gospel? Yet you were in Philemon's house? I'm not telling you that the gospel truth this morning, but could it be that Paul's writing Philemon to say, here's my prayer for you. I pray that you'd be effective in sharing your faith because it's pretty obvious you don't. I met somebody. And you had him in your household. He didn't know the gospel. This, this really hit me this week as I was studying this going, oh my goodness. I've always loved the part of the story where Paul says, take him back as a brother. But I never caught on to the fact that Paul was praying, Philemon, I pray that you'd be effective at sharing your faith. And so this is where it's a weird message today. We're in a prayer series, but I'm talking about sharing your faith. Because we don't share our faith. And there's a lot of reasons why we don't share our faith. But it's a shame that we don't share our faith. There's a lot of barriers that we have. I understand it. I just taught an a evangelism 101 course here at Oakwood, and we had a whole list of things we'll get to in just a second of reasons why we don't share. But it becomes a big danger for all of us. The big danger for Christians is that we develop an inward, self-centered, judgmental, critical, fear-driven form of Christianity. A closed club where we start feeling like it's us against the world. And friends, I read that passage. Remember that great passage we all love? Where, where Christ is about ready to leave and he says, now go into all the world. And close your doors and shut your windows and stay very closed in and safe. Somebody say, no. That's not what it says. Run away from them. Like an episode of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Run away. Run away. You're not with me. You do think I'm crazy, don't you? If you haven't watched the Holy Grail, please do that. Run away. Be scared of the world. And yet, that form of Christianity that's isolationist in fear, we're told to go into all the world and preach the gospel. But, but Pastor God, they, there's people out there and they, they watch R-rated movies and they listen to secular music and their children watch Spongebob. Oh! I, I want to make sure I'm very clear today because I, I spent 20 years in youth ministry. I'm not telling you to run to the world to become like the world if you're hearing that you don't get it the bible doesn't say go into all the world and just mm, to take all your standards away and live like the world it doesn't say that go in the world to preach the gospel so that they will be saved if you run to the world and become like the world we've failed you didn't hear my message last week about the difference between a thermostat and a thermometer thermostats change the temperature in a room thermometers become the temperature in the environment it goes into you're not called to go into all the world and be a thermometer you're called to be a thermostat you're called to go into the world and tell the gospel so that they would be changed glory to glory so teens parents are like fix this pd i don't want my kids to say see pd said i need to go to that party this weekend no no your parents know you, teenagers, and if you're the type that is infected and affected by the world, then, then maybe your parents are wise to say you're not ready yet. But we as adults and other teens, I mean, their teens are definitely capable of this, to say, no, I am confident in my relationship with God, and I don't have to be like the world. I'm different than the world. I want the world to know the truth. So what are the barriers what are the things that we wrote all these down in my class? Why, why don't we share the faith? Number one, I'm afraid I'll offend the person and lose the relationship. How many of you ever feel like that? I'm afraid to share the gospel. Somebody might think I'm crazy. I get it. That's a real fear. It's a real barrier. But think about it. Think about the other side of it. Think if you've got somebody in your life and you're just like, I don't want to share the gospel because they might think I'm weird. What happens if they hear the gospel three years after they knew you and they get saved and come back to you and say, why didn't you tell me this? Don't you think it's going to be awkward when Onesimus comes back to Philemon and he goes, Philemon, I didn't know. You didn't tell me that I was, could be forgiven. I mean, that's an awkward moment. You might be afraid of losing a relationship. But man. Two, 
I don't know where to start. I understand that can be a barrier. You do. You know, nobody wants to be bad at what you do. You, you want to be good at it. So be ready. The Bible says always be prepared to give an answer. So be prepared to give an answer. Have you thought about a scenario? And what you would say if somebody says, you go to church, right? What are you going to follow up with that? Hopefully you'd say, well, I go to church, but that's not religion. My relationship with Christ is what matters to me. Because of a real relationship with Christ, that's why I go to church. Are you ready with something to share the hope you have? I'm still learning the Bible. I don't have all the answers for all the questions people might ask. News break, you're never going to have all the answers. Just when you think you're brilliant and you got the answer, somebody's going to throw a real screwball at you, and you're not going to know that answer. It happens to me all the time. You know your best defense to that? Don't come across like you know everything. That's where I, I, I exceed very well. People don't have high bar standards when they're talking to me, right? I'm talking about SpongeBob and Holy Grail. So you're like, whoa. So if I say something smart, you're like, whoa. So don't run around acting like you know everything. People, you don't. People are going to ask hard questions, and you're going to say, I don't know. And that's okay. It's okay to say, man, I don't know that. But I'll text you tomorrow. I'm going to go find out. And then you call me because I know who to call to find out. The hard answers, all right? So we'll figure it out. But yeah, that's a, that's a barrier. The fourth one is I need to learn more creative methods of evangelism. Yeah, and do. Go do that. You have no excuse. In our day and age with technology, I, go to the, uh, your phone. I won't look. I won't know that you're doing it. Go to your phone. Go to the app store. Download um, uh, my story. Share my story. Share my story. And you can get an app. And it can help you share the gospel right now, right in front of somebody. All you got to do is click next. Oh, you can click next. And it gives the gospel right on your phone. There's so many creative ways to share the gospel. Oh, I'm, I'm not an extrovert. By nature, I'm very shy and afraid to talk to people. How many of you would say you're an introvert? Raise your hand. Yeah. How many of you are extroverts? Raise your hand. I, just, I love asking that questions because every time I ask that, the extroverts are like, yep, me. How many of you are introverts? I love that. <laughs> I don't think any introvert raised their hand above their shoulder. Yeah, we're different. But the Bible doesn't say... Share your faith if you're crazy outgoing. And if you're not outgoing, you can stay and just provide milk and cookies and help the people who do. The Bible doesn't give you that option. There are some commands that are universal. And in the Bible, this one's one of them. Share your faith. Go ye into all the world and share the gospel. Introverted, extroverted, good talker, bad talker. It doesn't matter. It's a command for all of us. Six, he or she... Uh, it seems so stubborn. I don't think they're going it, to, it's not going to work. You don't know my friend. And they're a hard case, man. My friend just, there's no way that person's going to accept the gospel. I mean, we're talking about Paul this morning, who wrote more than half of the New Testament. You know, when Christ saved him, he was torturing the church and taking part in killing Christians. I bet you there were Christians around saying, don't talk to Paul. He watches R-rated movies and listens to secular music and watches Spongebob. Don't talk to Paul. He's totally heathen. And God's like, yeah, that's the guy I'm going to pick. I'm picking Paul. Because when he comes to faith and he understands the depth of my love, he's going to just share it with everybody. He shared it with Onesimus. Paul's obviously just sharing his faith. Seven, I don't want them to hear the gospel. I know this one's not true about you. The good people of Oakwood, it can't be true of you. But it's been true of Christians. I don't want that person. That person deserves to go to hell. They're really rotten. I want them to face punishment. Welcome to the club, Jonah. It's a whole book in the Bible written about an attitude of a Christian who had a self-centered, closed, us against them. It's Jonah. God said, Jonah, you go and preach the gospel to this whole nation. He says, I don't want to. God says, you better go. I don't want to. Why don't you want to? Because I want them to rot in hell. And God, I know, this is a crazy passage. God, I know that you're rich in mercy. Have you ever heard that said in a negative way? Jonah's got to be the only one who ever said that. God, I know one of your flaws is you love people. And God, I know one of your flaws is that you just save people. So I know that if I go and preach this gospel, they will turn and repent. And I don't want to. Can you believe it? That's, that's Jonah, you know, PD's version of the whole book. And so God had him swallowed by a fish. You better change your attitude, people, or don't go near water. Right? We got we to gotta get away from these barriers. I, I always am reminded of 
that interview I watched with Penn and Teller. Penn and Teller are world-famous magicians, and uh, Teller is the mute. He doesn't speak, but Penn uh, is a raging atheist. Penn is a, he's one of the leaders of, I don't believe in God, I don't believe in afterlife, I don't believe any of that stuff. But he was being interviewed by somebody, and while he was talking to him about magic and stuff like that, a guy from the audience came after a show, and he came up to Teller, or yeah, to Penn, and said, hey, I, I just I love your show, I love what you do, I just want to give you this, and he handed him a Bible. And the guy that was interviewing him knew that he was a raging atheist, and he's like, oh, he's going to tear into him. He's going to destroy this guy. Instead, Penn said, thank you, thank you so much, I appreciate that. And, and kept the, and when the guy left, the, the, the guy looked at Teller or Penn and said, you're an atheist. Why did you take that Bible? Why didn't you tear into that guy? He goes, oh, no, no, no. He said, listen, that guy truly believes that if I don't give my sins to Jesus and invite Jesus, to my, he really believes that I'm going to spend eternity in hell. And he cared enough about me to come and hand me this Bible. I respect that. And then he looked at the guy and he said these words, and it haunts me to this day. He said, how much do you have to hate somebody to not tell them that if you believe it? How much do you got to hate somebody? Whoa. (laughs) So we might have some barriers why we don't want to share our faith, but we need to be sharing our faith. How can you share your faith? Well, just quickly, you can be loving but direct. Don't be afraid to be direct. Don't be afraid to bring it up. Now, the Bible says always be prepared to give an answer, but then it says these words, but do it with gentleness and respect. Please share the gospel, but don't. You know, do you know if you die tonight, you're going to spend eternity in hell? You know, I, I, I really have a hard time when I go past street preachers and they're screaming at people. You smoking that cigarette, you're going to be smoking in hell in about a day or two. You know, I'm like, no, 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 not a good approach. There's no gentleness, there's no respect there. Be loving, but be direct. Believe it or not, eternity comes up quite a bit. People think about it. The Bible says he has put eternity on the hearts of man. So they're thinking about it. They're thinking about it. Share the gospel. Loving and direct. Oh, no, let me, let me just give you a verse for that. Um, Acts 2, 37-41 Uh, this is a great passage where Peter had just preached a huge long message. You can go read it on your own. Huge long message about the gospel of Jesus and how he can save. And then he gets to the end in verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to their hearts and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? It's a great message, by the way, when at the end the people are like, whoa, what do we do? And then this is one of the most effective evangelism of all times that we've heard of. Peter said, repent. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off and for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to the number that day. Go, Peter. Can you imagine giving an invitation, giving the gospel, and then saying you need this, and 3,000 people receive it? Whoa, that's so awesome. Be loving, but be direct. Peter shared away. Second, share my story. Everybody say my story. You have a story. Everyone in this room, if you know Jesus and you've asked him to save you, you have a story, and it's your story. Share your story. It's so powerful. You're like, no, no, no. No, my story's not powerful. I've heard people's, there's people out there that have a testimony about smoking weed, drinking whiskey, and shooting heroin. Man, I grew up in the church. I smoke Cheetos, drink NyQuil, and shoot squirrels. I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm not bad. I'm not all that bad. Well, you know what? We've got it all backwards in our thinking. That powerful testimonies are testimonies of, of drug addiction and redemption. Yeah, those are powerful. But there's other powerful testimonies of people that avoided all that junk in their life. I always use my wife and I as good illustrations of this because I was a rebellious teenage punk who became an alcoholic, who was a drug addict, a drug dealer. That's my background. And God saved me out of that. And I married a girl who's done none of that. She gets drunk when she smells NyQuil. She can't even, she's, she, this girl, 
She just, she's never done all that junk in her life. And, and you know what? There's been times when even she's talked about, well, you know, you've got this big story. No. Yeah, God did rescue me from terrible things. But he rescued you from them, and you didn't get messed up with them. You don't have the baggage. I got saved, but you were saved and saved from baggage. Both are wonderful, aren't they? Both are beautiful stories. So if you're young here today, and you're like, maybe, maybe the best way I can be a good preacher of the gospel is I need to go become an alcoholic and a drug addict dealer, and then, then I'll have a good story. No, please don't. You know, think of a two-by-four. And man, uh, uh, nails are the sins. And, and, and think of me pounding these different nails all in my two by four of my life, you know? And I did. I pounded these nails all over the place. And then I asked God, and at some point, He pulled all those nails out. He removed the sin. But what's left? There's scars there. That wood is, is pitted, and, and those things don't go away. God doesn't promise you a new two by four, He gives you a new life, but there's still baggage. Man, I, don't, I shouldn't say it with her in the room, but she got a nice two by four. I just like, I like my wife's life. It's just, no, no, there's no junk there. That's a powerful story. Share your story. Beauty about your story is nobody can argue with it. If you just want to talk facts about the gospel and you want to say, hey, listen, I know this, the Bible says this, this is how you go to heaven, they can argue with you on that. Well, yeah, but I heard. And they can argue facts. But you know what they can't argue with? They can't argue with, here's what was my life before Christ, Here's when I came to him, and here's what happened since then. That's what the the blind man did. Put it up on the screen in uh, John chapter 9. This blind man was sitting there, and he's blind since birth, and and, uh, all of a sudden Jesus comes, and he heals him, and he can see now. And and the religious people are like, you can't do that. This Jesus is healing people, and he, what is he doing? It's probably some witchcraft, and they're, they're accusing Jesus in kind of a court situation. And so they bring the blind man, the guy who was healed, they bring him to the stand, and they're like, you gotta tell us. They ask him, this guy who did this, he did this on the Sabbath, and it's wrong, and it's a sinful thing, is he a sinner? And the guy's like, I don't know. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. And nobody said, no, you don't see. You're, you don't see. No, I can see you. You're wearing blue. No, no, you still can't see. You're lying. No, no, you've got an ugly face with a big smashed nose and big fat ears and hair coming out of your ears. No, you can't see. No, he had a story. His story was he was blind, he met Jesus, and now he can see. There's power in having a story, and and people can't argue with that it changed your life. I mean, you can't deny the power of God that he took a teenage punk, and he saved him. And instead of my future when I was 18, instead of me being in prison or dead, I'm on a stage preaching the gospel every week. You can't deny the power of God. You've got a story. Share your story. Three, I can invite people to church. This is a good, I'm going to tell you as a pastor, it's not my favorite one because I want to equip you so that you can tell people the gospel and you don't need to bring them to the professionals. It's okay and you should. We need to be inviting people to church. But don't let that be your only outlet for evangelism. I don't want you to go home and say, yeah, I'm an evangelist. I tell people to come to church. No, share this gospel, share your story. Enhance it by letting them come to church and be around other believers. Don't just bail out. And by the way, this one's awkward for me. You know, I don't walk around Myers and say, hey, come listen to me talk for 40 minutes this Sunday. My wife says I'm pretty good. You know, I don't, I, that's awkward when I do that. And it's awkward when uh, there's been people that have come in before and uh, I, I, I annoy our deacons here like crazy. Our deacons are in charge of the facility, but I'm just so ADD that I, I'll get a ladder out and start working. I just fix stuff. And they're like, two things, Pastor. You should be in your office studying, and you're really bad at fixing things. You're making it worse. So they're like, stop it. But I can't help myself. If you come by the church during the week, you'll be disappointed because I'm probably wearing tattered jeans and a torn sweatshirt, and I'm messing up something in the building. It's happened before when I've been here, and somebody's come and knocked on the door, and they're like, excuse me. And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, we're new to town, um, and we just we thought we'd stop by the church. I'm like, oh, come in. And I'll take them around. I'll show them the worship center. I'll show them the kids' area, tell them about our services. I'll say, hey, why don't you come? Come to church on Sunday, and uh, I'll be there. You can sit by me. And they're like, yeah, I wish. And they'll come to church and actually sit by me. And then all of a sudden, the music's done, and I walk up and start preaching. They're like, 
I thought you were the janitor. <laughs> I mean, I encourage you to invite people to church, but I don't want it to be the only method you use. Tell people, but then also you can invite them. We're, we're not good at that. Can I just tell you, not picking on us. Uh, we, we bought over 500 invite cards for Christmas, the welcome one. And our staff, you know, we know, we know after the Christmas series is over how many cards we have left. And in a church our size, we should be able to hand out 500 invite cards, but we don't. I don't know how many of you are, are sharing on social media about our services, but man, every week you have an opportunity to tell others, at least come and see. And that's, that's what happened in this passage. What was it? Uh, John chapter 4. Remember the woman at the well? Remember she met Jesus and, and Jesus told her everything she'd ever done? What did she do when she went back to town? She's like, I just met a guy. He told me everything I'd ever done in my life. Come and see. And she brought people back to Jesus with her. That's the easiest thing you could possibly do as a believer. I pray that the Lord would make you effective in sharing the gospel so that not only would you be growing in your faith, but others would hear. Fourth way, I can live a life that other people will want. Just simply living and walking the walk, talking the talk, people will notice you're different. People will say, I want that. The Bible says always be prepared to give an answer for the hope you have. Let me ask you a question. Has anybody asked lately? Is anybody looking how you live and saying to you, what's different about you? Can you tell me about your church? This past Thursday night, I was invited to walk the hallways of Oxford High School. I didn't realize we were the first people in those hallways. Uh, teachers hadn't been back yet. But they asked the pastors to come in and just pray over the building. I know, I know they were thinking we were going to exercise demons, and I'm okay with going in and doing whatever I can do to bless the space, but I wanted to go and pray for the teachers and the kids as they eventually make their way back into that building. And we, we walked every inch and we prayed. One of the first things we did when Tim, the superintendent of the schools, came out to take us, uh, I stopped and said, can we pray for you, Tim? And we, we stopped and prayed over Tim and the weight that he bears. We walked the halls, and we kind of eventually just went our own ways. We were able to walk individually. And uh, I walked in some classrooms and turned on the lights and I knew uh, Coach Fed's room. I wanted to pray for, over Coach Fed and his classroom. And it's eerie to walk in and see on the, the whiteboard still say, homework is due on 1030, you know, November 30th. It's, you know, it's frozen in time. But we prayed. At some point I, I was walking and uh, somebody came and put their arm around me. And it was Tim, superintendent of Oxford Schools. And he said, I've been wanting to talk to you. Who are these people at Oakwood Community Church? I heard stories that you guys gave every staff person in our building a present, a gift, and it was overwhelming. But then today, because it was that day, Melissa, we'd, we'd finished delivering to the bus garage 50 uh, presents to all the bus drivers. And that day we went and finished the last 12 gifts to the coaches at the high school. And it was that day we went into the uh, administrative building and put up 28 gift baskets. And he said, Don, he said, you did all of that. And today I'm hearing from the bus drivers that the bus drivers are blown away that this church, Oakwood, I was like, they just did all that for our staff at the school. And then somebody uh, sent out an administrative text to the whole building, and the administrative building said, come down to the kitchen, you're not going to believe it. He said, Don, I went down to the kitchen today, and there's 28 of my administrators acting like it's Christmas morning. And they're going, ooh, ah, I can't believe this. And he just looked at me, and he said, who are you people? That was easy. I'm like, Tim, man, we're with you. We're with you. We've been with you, but we're going to continue to be with you because we're a body of believers that loves Jesus and we love people. And God sent his son at Christmas and he told us his name was Emmanuel, which means God with us. And if God's with us, the people of Oakwood were with you. That was so easy. 
Live a life that people would want, that people would say, who are you people? And I need to wrap it up. Go ahead, Phil, why don't you come up? I'll just give these three in quick order. Phil and the team, why don't you come up? What are the results of sharing my faith? Well, I play a part in the divine story. Isn't it great to be able to play a part in God's divine story? Some people plant, some people water, but only God gives the increase. I just want to be part of that story. I don't know what... One of my prayers is always, Lord, help us to be effective. I just don't want to be doing for nothing. So help me to be effective. When I get on the road and I travel and speak, God, just help me to be effective. And as a speaker, when I'm out on the road, I don't often know what happens. Uh, a strange thing happened just a couple weeks ago. You might have saw this on Facebook. You ever get those memories that pop up? I had a memory pop up from 11 years ago, standing on a stage in front of 3,000 teens, and I was preaching this message. I was wearing shackles and chains. It was an illustration I used. Uh, feet, you know, waist and arms all chained up in sin. And it, it, and it was just picture pop up and I'm like oh no way that was 11 years ago so I reposted on a Facebook and I'm like I can't believe it's been a decade well then all of a sudden I started getting little messages and the one I love was PD I was there that night and I gave my life to Christ and you need to know that this weekend is my first weekend as the guest speaker at a winter camp I've been a youth pastor now for these last 11 years and I'll be speaking at a winter camp for the first time. And I'm, I was remembering PD. And I was thinking, how can I do it like PD did it? And I'm like, man, that's a good gift when God lets you know you're part of his divine story. And effectiveness. And then your faith grows, number two. Your faith grows when you share the gospel. What a great way to exercise that, that atrophy. If you don't use it, you lose it. And so we got to share the faith, and it's, it helps your faith grow. And I'm reminded of what I have in Jesus, and that's what I end with. That's what Paul prayed. I pray you to be effective in sharing your faith so that you'll know all the fullness of what you have. Apparently, Philemon wasn't good at sharing his faith, and he didn't quite understand. He loved the church, and he loved Christian people. He loved the huddle, but he wasn't so good at sharing it. And, and Paul was reminding him, share your faith. That's worth praying for. Father God, in the name of Jesus, as people who come to you and know you, I pray that we'd be good and effective at sharing our faith. Two things, God, I pray that people would be saved. The second thing is that Christians would grow in power and in strength from this sharing of faith. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with us as we close. Thanks.